0: Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called Dave McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads, and you get me
1: and John, pure and simple. And, Mac, you get early access episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
0: Understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time, but it is also, it is also Bloomsday, the 16th of June. So it is. 2022. 100 years since the publication of Ulysses. It's also the day of the Dorky Book Festival. We are opening this afternoon. With, believe it or not, a podcast with John and I. <laughs> Jesus, we're just doing it all the time, and we will be around Dorky all weekend. We hope you can join us this afternoon. We're going to be talking to a wonderfully eclectic woman called Lea Epi. Lea Epi was born in the last Stalinist state in Europe, Albania, and her biography, her autobiography, Freedom, is a fantastic, fantastic read. Really perplexing, actually, and lots and lots of darkness as well as light and shade in the whole thing. But anyway, I am now looking at John, who, in all around here in Dunleary, there are people walking around in Joycean costumes this morning. They are Edwardian <laughs> costumes. They are looking, you know, like, like people in 1904. They've little sort of bowler hats and things. John has done something which is actually very Joycean. Which is to Indeed go against it is. the grain. Indeed. And he is wearing what looks like a Dubs GAA, but it's not. It looks like a Dubs GAA jersey.
1: What yeah. is it? It's not. It's not Dubs. It's um. Actually my my daughter who plays senior Camogie which for Dublin, which is very very impressive, which is really good. And and actually, shout out to Adrian O'Sullivan, who is the the coach. He's doing a brilliant job with them. But anyway, okay. My Aiden, daughter,
0: don't worry. The checks in the post. If you don't play her up front <laughs> next Sunday. <laughs>
1: Go on, yeah, you know the way she gets. Yeah, she,
0: you, you'll be you'll be killed, as my mother would say.
1: Killed. Uh, no, but she got me this. Izzy got me this jersey, which is Longford Slashers. Oh, the GAA club in Longford, which my dad was a founder member of. Oh, that's way really back cool. When. That
0: is really cool. Well, if so you don't I know, I was really
1: touched by that. Yeah, actually. no, it's, it's great. Really great. If you
0: don't know Longford Slashers, it does look like a Dubs GAA jersey. It's the yeah. same. It's the same blue and blue. It looks, actually, it's interesting. John's dad founded a GAA club and my dad founded Dog United football club. That's right, yes. So yeah, we, are, yeah. we
1: are the spawn of two founders. <laughs> 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 except I never played GAA.
0: <laughs> except the other thing is, and except the GAA has taken over Dog United with the No, Oh, that's true as exactly. well, like, of course. It's like yeah. a GAA virus <laughs> taking over the poor old footballers. Notice we don't call them soccer players on this, in this podcast. Indeed. Football is football and the other stuff isn't. But anyway, it's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's a lovely jersey. Yeah. And Joyce would love that because it's going against the grain.
1: There say. you go. There you go. I anyway, did it for, I did
0: it we, for you, Mike. So we are off to talking, but we would like to talk to you first about something that we've been touching on in the last while. And it's the following idea that we've always said the foundational issue in economics is energy. Once you get your energy price sorted, everything else falls into place, okay? And going back to the very, very first, first even iteration of money, we've told you before, was actually grain. And why? Because grain was energy, and energy is something you can actually appreciate, you can use. And interestingly, if there is one thing you could do to alleviate global poverty, one, one thing you could do, I think Bill Gates might have said this, It is, you could reduce the price of energy because energy is something that everyone needs to pay for. Except, like food, the poorest people pay more of their income on energy than the richest people. Mm. So if you're going to actually try and alleviate poverty, you've got to bring down the cost of energy because then that brings down the cost of everything. And for poor people, it means that staples, cost of staples, falls and that means their real incomes rise. So we're going to be talking about that today, John. And
1: not only that, I mean that's that is a crucial point. But not only that is but we also have to meet our obligations for 2030 and 2050 in terms of the, the, zero. Green, the green transition. Yeah. So so we need to reassess our whole energy generation in this country and, and, and across Europe. Well and, and include absolutely everything, every option. So this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about including every
0: option. Now, John and I are of a generation that have a faint memory of Carnsore Point. I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks back yeah, yeah. where there was actually a huge demonstrations. It propelled Christy Moore onto the national stage. It did, actually. Yeah, yeah it, it did. did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there was a massive anti-nuclear demonstration in the late 70s that I just vaguely remember. And anti-nuclear has been a sort of an article of faith of the Green Movement almost since then. But it's now increasingly evident that the atomic age that should have been the second half of the 20th century wasn't. And somewhere in the 1970s, the nuclear industry ran into the sand. And if you look at the numbers, John, nuclear is much... I'm not saying that nuclear is the solution to everything, but it's mm. part as you said, Absolutely. of the solution.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: And what we're going to talk, we're going to talk in a couple of minutes to an engineer, Sarah Cullen, about Irish energy policy, simply because it seems to be, as far as Sarah's saying, all over the shop. I'll tell you a story of French. It's just the Irish way of doing it. A French friend of mine mm. lives here and he's a civil servant. And right. he was a civil servant in France and then uh, in Europe, in Brussels. And he came to Ireland to be a civil servant. And I said to him, I'll leave his name out. I said uh, What's it like working here? And he said, uh, it's interesting. Huh? <laughs> I said, why is this? Says, you have no system. I said, how do you mean we have no system? He said, it works very strange. I said, why? He says, because if there's a problem, Mick calls Pat, Pat calls Joe, Joe calls Geraldine, Geraldine calls Mary, and Mary fixes it. <laughs> and I said, so you, Mary. I said, what's wrong with that? He says, but in France, we have an organigram. Everybody knows. So basically you in France, they have a system, yeah. a really worked out system that everybody knows who's responsible, where the yeah. book stops and how the civil service all links with each other. Right. Yeah. He said in Ireland, basically you've got a problem. You go to the senior blocks. He, he, he calls somebody. Your man talks to somebody else. He calls somebody else. Yeah. All mates, mates, mates. Yeah. It's done. And you're
1: waiting for the phone to ring to get the answer. To get the
0: answer. <laughs> get the answer. He, said, he said, it works. It's eventually done. Yeah. He says, there's no system. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so that's the the French view of how Ireland works. So I'll tell you what we do. I know, I know, I know what it is. But you know, it it, it is like that.
1: Yeah, I could could well imagine. It is like
0: that. It's like ad hoc. It's, the Irish would say it's organically evolved. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But there's no system. So let's go and talk to Sarah Cullen about our, our energy system, where we get it from, what we burn, what we don't burn, how we get our energy and more to them. More to the point is how we plan to get to that net zero. Sarah, how are you? Good
2: I'm to good, see you. Thanks.
0: Listen, Sarah, come here. Let's get straight into it. What is eighteen for zero?
2: Eighteen for zero is a group that I co-founded in 2019 after the government came out with the climate action plan. So you might remember they said we're going to reach 70% variable renewables by 2030, and you know it. It was broader than just the energy sector. But I'm an energy systems engineer myself and a few other. Energy sector people looked at this and went, These plans don't really make any sense. And they've claimed that they're going to get to net zero by 2050. But with the range of technologies permitted in Ireland, that's not actually really technically possible. And if it was, it is in no way economically possible. So clearly, we need to look into more options. And the government was already looking into carbon capture and storage. So we said, Look, we're going to make the case that we should look into nuclear power. You know, we're all volunteers, we have no vested interest. We did a report. And put out lots of information on it. And yeah, we're, we're just trying to improve the kind of scientific basis of Irish energy policy and get a more comprehensive model done and have an Irish energy strategy that's based on a model and also assessments of every different technology. So we can understand things like supply chain risk, workforce issues, the infrastructural we'll need to develop all these different technologies So we can have the cheapest, cleanest, most reliable electricity possible. And currently the government isn't planning on doing a model like that or assessments like that. And they've never done assessments like that. So that's what we're advocating for.
0: That always kind of terrifies the economist in me. First is because economics is not a science so our models are useless right okay so we can put that aside no but it's very true I mean economists have, economists have been suffering for physics envy for a century
1: yeah okay so, so you're just a bunch of fellows with notions no
0: well yeah <laughs> I, I actually happen to believe that I have to believe that when you're dealing with your fundamental creature at the center of economic models is the beautiful thing called the human being yeah it is impossible To model collectively human behavior. So therefore, what you have to do is you have to make so many assumptions, right, to make the model work. But not only is the model not consistent with reality, which should be its objective, it's actually inconsistent with reality. It actually tells you the opposite story. But these guys, the scientists and the engineers, have iron laws. They have things that are immutable, that actually can be modeled. So explain to me, Sarah, and I really want to understand this. You're telling me that Irish energy policy, and I know we're going to open a Pandora's box here, but let's open it nonetheless, okay? That Irish energy policy is not based on any consistent start to finish scientific engineering model.
2: Yeah, that's correct. So we've seen the first kind of one of these coming out. The Climate Council in November came up with these updated carbon budgets up to 2030, and we start, we've start. we seen kind of roadmap of development of the energy sector come out up to 2030 which is fantastic we haven't seen anything like that before really and it is long overdue and it's good because it gives certainty to developers what they can do so in ireland like you know the way that our energy policy is unfolded has been whatever's politically advantageous, and then putting out fires caused by the politically advantageous thing. So Eamon Ryan shutting down peat plants early to, or like two years ago, and then last year having low wind and having to turn them back on. And, you know, you know, but like, this is the type of energy system that comes from no planning. So the way to remedy that is to do a really comprehensive model of all of our energy technology options for a range of scenarios up to 2050. And then combining that with assessments, showing any of the limitations of deployment and stuff like that, then we can choose what's called a roadmap to net zero by 2050. So in the last climate action plan, the government tasked AirGrid with coming up with one of these, which sounds fantastic, except their methodology is completely opaque. I don't know what they're doing and. I, I follow and, up and on you're, it.
0: And you're, a, you're, you're an energy engineer. You, you I don't know the where they're getting...
2: Things. like. So we know the model type that they're using, but we don't know where they're getting any of their data from. And the government usually gets their data from renewables industry associations. And I have no fault with those associations. They do great work, but those should not be the basis for our energy strategy. We should be using internationally accepted numbers from like the UN or the IPCC. We shouldn't be taking marketing material and basing our energy policy on them. They're always inherently going to be optimistic because they're representing a corporate Abs- interest.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's so, it's a bit like setting alcohol policy based on, you know, the interest of Guinness or Smirnoff or something. You're saying, oh, really? That's really yeah. fantastic. Yeah.
2: And it's like, you know, I have absolutely no issue with those associations and I've worked in solar and it's like, They're great, but it it shouldn't be the basis. And then so AirGrid's model, also, there's no accompanying assessments. So what we've seen with the refit scheme, you know, for um, retrofitting the houses, there were these great plans put in place. And now there's all these supply chain and workforce issues because no one ever assessed, you know, what would actually be needed to implement these targets. The targets, so we are just don't, on-
0: we yeah. don't have the, the you're saying the mechanics, the technicians, the engineers on yeah. to actually do this stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly. And people in people in like those industries knew about that these shortfalls were going to come up, of course. But that wasn't getting represented politically. And people in the electricity sector know that there will be significant hurdles to overcome to implement even the plans that we have up to 2030, Never mind whatever plans we come up with, like much more ambitious plans to 2050. We already know, and we're seeing the effects of that now. So one big infrastructure issue that always gets overlooked politically is the transmission network. So you physically need a line to connect every power plant you have in every solar farm to the grid and get it to people's houses. And there have been no major transmission infrastructure projects completed since 2005. No way. There there have been
0: 2005?
2: So the Irish Academy of Engineering came out with a really good report on this last year. And they just listed like loads of projects that like, you know, were given the go ahead in the 90s. Why not? (laughs) Because um, there's lots of issues with our planning system and they just go into the courts for years and get lost. So now we right. have a transmission system that is not able to keep up with the rate of development that we have of electricity generation. So in the renewable, the res auction results that came out yesterday, which give a guaranteed price to renewables companies, so like wind and solar for 15 years, okay. which is important because they need that price to be able to go construct their plan to make their business plan we saw that nearly all the onshore wind that applied was given a price, which yep. is unusual because that shows you that pretty much no wind applied 400 megawatts of wind. That's nothing compared to what we're going to need because there's so much uncertainty about whether or not they'll be able to connect to the grid <laughs> and about, you know, what will they be able to reliably export electricity and um, the grid connection charges and the network charges. So the cost associated, you know, when, when you, are connected to the grid. You have to pay this kind of maintenance fee, sure. the network charge. Those are rising dramatically Why? in a kind of opaque way because Why? we know we know that our transmission network and our transmission system isn't up to scratch, and we'll need massive investment. And it's really unclear how that's going to work. So to kind of hedge that uncertainty, they're putting massive charges on anyone connecting. And what that means is. Renewables developers don't want to connect to the grid. They're waiting for the next few rounds of auctions. Yeah, the to see average they can get cost of electricity prices. granted in the res auctions yesterday was €97 Euro per megawatt hour. And just to give like a sense, um, in Spain in October, they had the same kind of auctions. The average price was €32. Euro.
0: Wow. So we're three times we Three, three times, more times as
2: much. Okay. And it is 30% higher. So Irish electricity is expensive anyway because of the way we've had our energy strategy s- going back about 15 years or even longer and because of these kind of transmission issues and all sorts of other things. But we know like it's gotten so much worse so quickly. And so the last res auctions were in 2020 and these ones were 33% higher so, so than the ones two
0: years ago. And even, so we're talking a country like Ireland, because what's interesting, we talk about energy prices and electricity prices. This is a tax on every person right? If your energy prices are higher than anywhere else, your real incomes are lower because all of us need a certain amount of energy to live. Okay. Everyone, ourselves and the Spaniards, et cetera, right? Okay. So what we're saying is we are taxing Irish people three times. And one of the reasons for this, or maybe the major reason for this is that there is no consistency in planning. There are far too many planning objections and there is nobody at the top saying, I have this, I'm figuring this out. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it's basically, it's are stuck on all the time. And the expedience is political expedience, which is governing by press release.
2: It's actually a little bit worse than just putting a tax on every person because the residential electricity prices are protected by the government. So we get like, you know, kind of money off and like, you know, um, tax exemptions. Businesses don't. So the average fixed rate for a business consumer in Ireland has risen 130% in the last 12 months.
0: You're not serious.
2: So that and electricity is a major overhead for companies. So say you're a pharmaceutical company in Ireland, your electricity bill could be half a million euro every few months. Like, you know, and then so doubling that 130%. Or, you know, you have a shop and your electricity bill is two grand, you know, your regular, and then it goes up to four grand. That's someone's salary. Like, that's, that's a yeah. lot of sweets you have to sell.
0: Can, can, I, can, can I come back? Okay, you know, we have a Green Party minister for energy, right? The Green Party were in power 2008 to 2010. They're in power again. Irish politics has become greener. It has become much more, whether a Green Party are in or not. Explain to me what is happening deep in the bowels and the entrails of the system to allow such dysfunctionality to emerge and then contrast this with best practice. Maybe it's Spain, maybe it's Britain, maybe it's Denmark. I don't don't know where it is, but explain that to me.
2: It's easier to explain best practice, so I'll go with that first. But (laughs) um, so, I mean, what we see in other countries is when they are planning out their energy system. And so that has implications for the pricing that they set for things, for how they're going to develop their transmission, even for like the kind of um, city planning and stuff, like for any kind of big infrastructure planning, really energy infrastructure is at the core of that. So what other countries will do is they'll take this top-down approach and they will say, what are all of our options? What information do we have on those? Let's fully understand those. Let's run a model and see a range of scenarios. You know, models aren't 100% yeah. accurate, even the engineering ones. Uh, especially but they, engineering. Do, they do
0: give you a proxy of reality, and you have to base it on something.
2: They do. And they're, you know, they are very useful. And they give you a much better indication of what the price will be than just looking at the cost of providing a technology. If just the cost of providing a technology was an accurate reflection of the cost of electricity, then the cost of renewables wouldn't have increased in the last res scheme. It wouldn't have gone up by 30%. It would have dropped because the cost of manufacturing solar panels has dropped and the cost of manufacturing Drop wind turbines dramatic has actually, dropped. dramatically. So yeah, and like, that's what we always hear. We always hear, you know, renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper, but that is not an accurate reflection of the cost of electricity. So what other countries will do is to get a more accurate reflection of what the cost of electricity might be is they run these models And then from them, they can see the trade offs between like which system has the most carbon emissions and which one's the cheapest and which is the most secure, which is the most reliable. And then like other environmental issues like footprint and biodiversity issues. You can take all of those into account and then balance them out and find a system that you're happy with. And then you kind of then facilitate the growth of that system and it can deviate.
0: So far, so logical. Okay.
2: Yeah. And so what Ireland has done. It's a little bit difficult to describe because it's basically just been as things have come up, they've tried to address them. So in 2019, after the government declared a climate emergency, they went, right, we have to we have to address this. Mm -hmm. So let's get to 70 percent, this nice round number, not not coming out of any science. (laughs) Let's get to 70 percent variable renewables by 2030. And then two years later, or three years later, when um, it was politically advantageous, they said, let's get to 80%. (laughs) Let's
0: just do it. Let's just go another one.
2: So a few months ago, and like Airgrid. So Airgrid are the people who operate our transmission system, our transmission network. And they do a great job given the constraints that they have. Airgrid were tasked. So they were in the middle of writing this report called Shaping Our Electricity Future. And that was to do with planning out the electricity system. And this report was based on the 70% number. And it takes, you know, these things don't get come together in a few weeks. And yeah. then a few weeks before this came out.
0: The 80% was dropped.
2: The 80%. So now all that research is redundant. <laughs> oh, God. And, God but us. like, it's it's just, there's no kind of harmony between how any of the policy gets made and any of the systems that are in place to inform it. There's no kind of feed in because the policy, the energy policy doesn't care about those. They don't they don't care about the information underpinning it. And that's that's absolutely wrong. And I mean, it's easy to change. There's such a simple solution. It's just do just, a model and do assessments. Do a model and do assessments. I feel like, I feel like this is judge. uncontroversial. Most people I speak to about this assume it's been done. So I talk about legalizing nuclear power, and lots of people will say, Well, didn't the government already look into that and decide not to go with it? And I'm like, in the 70s, they decided to build coal because it seemed cheaper. We have done no research on it since. So there are two more recent like legislative bans on nuclear power. So you can't get planning permission for a nuclear power plant and you can't connect one to the grid if you somehow manage to build one. Those are the bans. I mean, they'd be easy enough to get... Like They're just single lines of legislation within, buried within bigger acts. But there was no research to support that. Eamon Ryan recently in the Shannon was... Addressing a motion that had been put forward by some senators. And the entire motion was about energy security. And one of the pieces in it was saying we should look into nuclear power. And the amendment to that motion that Eamon Ryan made was nuclear powered electricity generation plants are prohibited in Ireland. The government has no plans to revisit the prohibition on or explore the development of nuclear powered electricity generation in Ireland. And that amendment passed. So the government made a commitment to not look into nuclear power. So most people, and the reasons he put out for this, you can Google, they're wrong. Like he was wrong about, like he seemed to have confused nuclear reactor with nuclear plant and nuclear plants made up of one or more nuclear reactors, but he didn't seem to understand that. He was saying that nuclear is more expensive than other forms of electricity generation, which if you look at it in simple kind of terms of like construction divided by how much power can I put, that's actually, it's not clear that that's right. But if you look at it in terms of system costs, countries with nuclear have lower cost of electricity than Ireland. So like France is 70% nuclear power and their electricity is substantially cheaper than ours. So he's wrong on that. I mean, everything he said was easily disproven. One of the other senators who spoke, a Green Party senator, was referencing that Sellafield caused Down syndrome, which was a bizarre lie to say. And all of this goes unchallenged. And most people assume that when we have an energy policy in Ireland, there's some reason behind it. There's some rationale, but it's not. It's this kind of idea that someone else will deal with it later. It's this really big long-term issue. We're just going to do with what makes our base happy now. And if our base want to hear that, Sellafield caused Down syndrome. and chill, that, I just want to make it abundantly clear that is not true. But if they think that that's politically advantageous, that's what they'll say and they won't get challenged and their motion will pass and they'll celebrate not looking in to how we can make our electricity cheaper and cleaner.
0: Just to conclude this, I, <laughs> I, from an engineering perspective, right? So from an economic perspective, as the economy grows, you require more energy. That's yep. the bottom line. So the demand for energy in Ireland is going to increase exponentially as the economy continues to grow, as the population grows, all that sort of stuff, right? You have this, what has been described as a ramshackle system of so many conflicting initiatives, all driven by short-term political considerations. And when I say political, I mean electoral considerations, You're appealing to the lowest common denominator to try and galvanize the base, to try and get you elected. Mm. At every stage, you have less and less long-term thinking. What what, what stage does the actual grid system begin to stop working?
2: We're starting to see that now. I mean, we're starting to get into that. And that's why we start seeing developers who don't want to... develop. I mean, the government, shamefully, we're still building fossil fuel plants because there were no plans to stop building them. So we're building new gas plants, two gigawatts, that's a lot of gas plants in the next like two years. But we might not be because developers don't want to build that because there's so much uncertainty around it. Renewables developers don't want to build more onshore winter because there's so much uncertainty around it. Mark Foley, the CEO of Airgrid, who has an enormously difficult job at the moment, was speaking at the Wind Energy Ireland conference in April. So, the report that they did, the Shaping Our Electricity Future one, that only took into account the 70% goal, they put strong limits on how much onshore wind can be connected. So, the government had pledged, oh, four gigawatts more of onshore wind up to 2030. And their report said, after one gigawatt, we can't incorporate any more. And that isn't taking into account the more ambitious renewables targets. So, we are already seeing that our grid is not able to keep up with the promises that Eamon Ryan is making. And Mark Foley, when he was speaking at the conference, said we have to end the developer-led approach to energy system development. And like, you know, this kind of ad hoc energy planning. For something as critical as our electricity system, something that really underpins our economy and our quality of life, we can't afford to just leave it up to kind of corporate interest groups and political kind of whims. We need an actual structure to it. And it's beyond frustrating that there's nobody in government currently calling for this. I've been doing 18 for zero for two and a half years at this point. We published a report on nuclear energy development in Ireland. So it was one, we started on the track of doing one of the assessments that we say the government should do. And we weren't doing that to tell the government what to do. We were showing, this is how you could do it. You need your own scientific numbers. Don't take our word for it. Don't take any industry's word for it. Go use scientific numbers. And Eamon Ryan still hasn't met with us. The only responses we've ever gotten from his office is saying that they are not going to look into nuclear power. That is indicative of a system that doesn't want to change. That is indicative of someone who does not care about the reality of what he's doing, about any fact underneath it, doesn't care about that Irish electricity is more expensive than the rest of Europe. And it doesn't seem like that's going to get any better anytime soon. When other countries like the UK are doing studies and coming out like last November, I think they came out with their plan to reach net zero carbon emissions in their electricity system by 2035. Why can't Ireland do something like that? You know, other countries, when they see that they've gotten something wrong, they go back on that. The Netherlands had decided before politically that they would try to phase out nuclear power plants. And then recently KPMG did a study for them and uh, some other university there did a study and the government looked at them and went, actually, we need to build some more. What we need to do is understand that we need to service Irish people and Irish needs first and political parties afterwards. And I feel like people would (laughs) respect that a lot more. We just need more communication on that because people don't really seem to understand that this is the system that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on.
1: It's the Wizard of Oz, John. Absolutely. And there's nothing. Man, I really feel your frustration, Sarah. I really do. And I'm right up there with you.
0: Sarah, listen, as John was saying, I can really hear your frustration. But the thing about it is that the more we ventilate these ideas, the more people listen and the more they land. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And you don't sound like someone with COVID.
2: Thank you. I had a lot of straps before
0: this. This is Sarah. Take care. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part?
2: And built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P.
0: And Sarah there will be at the Doki Book Festival tomorrow discussing exactly this issue with Eric Lonergan, Kareen Sawyer, And Mark Blythe, Friday afternoon in Doki.
1: So Mark, Sarah's, you know, her frustration was boiling over and you could really feel it. And I feel that as well. And it just seems to me that there's, not only is there a lack of joined up thinking, but the narrative that's out there is not only out of date, but it seems to be really wrong.
0: Well, it seems to be. I mean well you know my my I'm a fan of nuclear since our pension is full of uranium stocks (laughs) which are still languishing, but I can tell you it's all coming back. It's all coming back. I was ahead on believing. I was ahead of the game. No, I mean I think the elimination of the possibility of using nuclear power is a big, big mistake. Huge mistake. Big big mistake. Nuclear power is the cheapest. Once you've got up and running, the cheapest yeah. by far, the cleanest by far, the most abundant by far. yeah, And more importantly, it's the only way we're going to get to net zero. Because the thing about renewables, wind and wave, and we're big fans of that because we produce it naturally here, is there's not enough of it. Yes. To fuel the type of lifestyle that people want. Yeah. So therefore, the idea is what you give people is, well, you're going to have to actually completely change your lifestyle, which people will not do. Yeah. They will not do. So the question then is, what else do you use? I'm going to give you a little example.
1: Go on, of go on. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a book I'm reading called, Where Is My Flying Car? by a guy called J. Stores Hall. And right. the question is, the idea is, right? Where's uh, me Vespa? Where's me Vespa? We fly? It's, out, it's outside there. It's outside there. Fuel for 13 euros to fill it up. Anyway, but the idea here, this is a book given to me by John Collison, yeah. who we're going to be talking to in a week's time. Okay. And the idea is basically that in the 1950s and 60s, mm. the idea of a flying car was regarded as a completely logical thing, given where we had come from, from the 1910s to the 1950s. Yeah. Okay, in terms of nuclear power, in terms of transport, in terms of technology, all this huge innovation, right? Yeah, the
1: future was bright and shiny. And it was nuclear. Yes.
0: It was nuclear, right? So, and then something happened. And lots of things we can talk about, but I'm just going to give you, I'm going to read from this, right? It's about the difference between nuclear and jet and few... So oil, right? right? So basically every generation or every couple of generations, you know, we burnt wood in the 18th century. We burnt coal in the 19th century. We burnt oil in the 20th century. So yeah. there is a progression yeah. all the time, right? But it's, this is a fantastic. And I say, just consider, this is an American guy, right? Consider you're boarding a 747 for a vacation in Australia. The grand crew will be filling the tanks of the 747 with 57,285 gallons Jet fuel. Jesus. If you, like the average American, use 500 gallons of gas in your car per year, that's enough. This one flight to fuel you for 114 years. Okay. (laughs) Right. Jesus. The amount of jet fuel weighs 194.6 tons. Now the plane has to carry.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: And then, of course, it burns the whole thing off. Okay. Mm. So. The 747 has to take off and climb into altitude with all this weight. In other words, if it didn't carry the fuel, the plane would carry nearly 200 tons more of passengers or cargo. So you can call that about 100, this is American people because they're a bit rotund. That's 1,946 Americans. It's about (laughs) about 3,000 normal people, okay? Okay. Right, compared to the typical 500 passengers of a 747, okay? Yeah. Now, the, now this is like the energy produced by burning that much jet oil comes to 7.5 terajoules. Okay, that's the okay. energy,
1: right? This is getting old very okay, but, this, science-y, this, yeah, but go yeah. on, go on, go on, go on.
0: The same amount of energy could be had by nuclear fission, okay, so you've got the fusion fission, right? Yeah. Of 94.3 grams, or 3.3 ounces, are a third of a cubic inch of uranium, <laughs> right? Just think about it like, as I write, the price of it's jet amazing. fuel is about $6 a gallon, okay? Fueling up a 747 would cost $343,710, right. okay? As I write, the price of uranium is 49.5 per pound. If we were using nuclear to power planes... Yeah. What is costing us $343,000 odd dollars would cost
1: $8.66. Wow. Wow. Right. So nuclear is unbelievably cheap. But, yeah, want to- I, but it's also, you know, I mean, you have nuclear submarines.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You have nuclear submarines, so why not nuclear planes? And yeah. I'll just give you another one in terms of emissions, right? The rule of thumb is that nuclear fuels produce 1 million to 10 million times the energy per weight of chemicals. Mm and thus require the extraction of a million times less raw material, and the production of a million times less ash than fossil fuels for the same amount of energy. In short, nuclear fuel costs essentially trivial amounts compared to fossil fuels, and they pollute much less. So the question is, why are people so against
1: nuclear? Do you know what I, I have? I have a bit of a theory about this, and I think I mentioned Go this to it. you before, which is it's a little bit like as as you mentioned before about you know the, the left when the left look for traitors as the right yeah. look for converts, 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 yeah. And I think that is a, is a big factor in the green movement and green issues. I know I mentioned this before, but green issues all get mushed up together. Yeah. And so you can't be pro-nuclear, but anti-whaling and all that kind of stuff. They all get mixed up together. and So it's almost like a suite of beliefs. If you believe one, you have to believe them all. Absolutely. Okay. And, and one of the things about nuclear is that people hark back to the nuclear tests, the nuclear bombs and all this, and the CND movement, yeah, which became Amalgamated almost into the green movement. Well, it kind of was the midwife of the green. It birthed the green movement, CND movement. Yeah,
0: it was. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. But this is again the 1970s yes. thinking. You know, whereas I haven't moved on from there. Yeah, and and, and of course, okay, the, the the latest one, the, there's a, there's a there's an idea called radiophobia. A phobia about radioactive, right? Anything that, I've got a phobia against no, no, that. But anything, be. but it's a phobia in in the sense that it's it's. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But the idea is, is it actually real yes. in this sense? right? And again, we're talking about the Fukushima earthquake, right? Yeah. So as a result of the earthquake and the tsunami, about 16,000 people died. Most of these people drowned. 6,000 were injured and 2,500 went missing. A quarter of a million people were made homeless. So it's
1: a, a huge catastrophe, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: 127,000 buildings were damaged, were destroyed, right? And another 700-odd 1,000 were partially damaged, right? So this is a disaster of epic, epic proportions. But all we heard was about nuclear reactors. How much danger did the small release of nuclear add to the overall cataclysm, right? Zero. Nobody was killed by radiation exposure. And 10 years after the event, the United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effect of Atomic Radiation released a summary. And the summary said, no, not Little. No adverse health effects amongst Fukushima residents has been documented that could be directly attributed to radiation exposure. And noted that any further delays effective are unlikely to be discernible. And yet, Germany turned off its nuclear power Mm. as a result of the hysteria that came from that tsunami. Yeah, And then, of course, Germany ends up in the back pocket of Vladimir Putin. So there is something phenomenally interesting going on. I think you're right. I think it's CND, mm. it's the Green Movement, it's people just deciding that nuclear is bad. Yeah. And all the while, and we'll conclude here, we are narrowing down the options to allow us to achieve net zero, yeah. not just by 2030, but definitely by 2050. Yeah. So all the while, one of the most obvious ways to provide energy for the earth is being dismissed and what are we doing we're burning fossil fuels now while i have you it's the summer you've got a choice you can sit on your swiss hang out do nothing have a few pints take it handy or you can use the summer to learn economics with me on patreon we have two courses the courses that i give in trinity macroeconomic courses, cycles, booms, busts, history, the history of money, all sorts of good stuff, right? We've got the notes, we've got the reading list, we've got everything. we we'll take you through it. A very fine way, if you're going after a stroll, just put the headphones in and listen and learn economics with me. That's economics with me, patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.